I always remembered gratitude. I, I remember to, to count my blessings because I had found out that that helps me. When I count my blessing, it helps me. Mm. I watched my thoughts. I had to watch how I thought about life. If I thought about life in a negative way, I went down fast. Mm. And uh, I don't want to go down. I don't like it down there. <laughs> yeah, it's no fun. <laughs> no. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My guest today has lived in both Europe and America. She worked in Arizona as a registered dental hygienist, and for a time she served at the Homeless Dental Clinic there in Phoenix, Arizona. With her husband, she has traveled the world and has finally settled in Southern Utah. She is a mother, grandmother, and a great-grandmother, and more than anything else, she loves to spend time with her family. I'm pleased to present Karen Ford. Karen, are you ready to share your story of hope? I am. Thank you, Tamara, for having me. Oh, I am so tickled that I get to bring Karen on board. I first heard Karen's story a couple years ago, and I knew at that time, I'm like, oh, I've got to have her on my podcast. (laughs) So an interesting fact about Karen is that she has very personal connection to World War II. Why don't you tell me how you are connected to World War II, Karen? Well, I was born in a small border town in Czechoslovakia, right next to Germany and not far from Poland. And lived there for the first four years of my life, four years and a couple of months. And then my parents decided to leave that country because communism was... uh, definitely a fact and they wanted to raise their family away from communism which doesn't sound very good and uh, Mm -hmm. they made it out of there basically by the skin of their teeth uh, because the borders to Czechoslovakia closed just uh, that fall I think it was in 1948 and uh, we were never back during my childhood. Wow. That is amazing. Do you have many memories of Czechoslovakia before? I have some memories. Uh, I was born during the war, but I was very young when it when it uh, was over, maybe 15, 18 months. And uh, they had some harrowing experiences there that I was part of, but that I don't remember. But I have uh, particularly have memories of my nanny, a, a, a lady named... Uh, Frau Vanicek, Mrs. Vanicek. Oh. And I loved her. She was my, basically my only grandma because I was, uh, I didn't have any grandparents. And my memories particularly are with her, mm. which uh, was kind of interesting. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, life started tough <laughs> for you. And, and you, your family did um, come to the United States. I grew up in Denmark and came to the United States when I was 19. Oh, wow. All by myself. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I Is lived it... with a, a wonderful family in Downey, California, and uh, I was very fortunate to be uh, sponsored by, by this family who are also members of our church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, I will be forever grateful to them for how they included me in their circle and... Uh, made me feel at home and love. Wow, that's amazing. So why don't you take us through to marriage and what that looked like and the day that changed everything? I came to the States in May of 1963. And three weeks later to the date, I met the man who was going to be my husband. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, We had been to Griffith's Observatory uh, for a young adult outing, and he joined us. We had only known each other about a month at that time. 
And he picked me up and swung me around as we were looking at all the stars of the universe. <laughs> and he whispered into my ear, I'm going to marry you. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I barely knew the man. And uh, I didn't think that was going to happen. But it did a year later. On, uh, in 1964, we married. Uh, this is after learning that he had, he had been married before. That not only was he divorced, but he had a son and a daughter. They were seven and six when we married. It was a, a big step to take, but it worked out. Uh, mm -hmm. We had uh, about three years before we started having our, our own children, and uh, we had a good life. We, uh, he was a good husband, and I became a dental hygienist after my second son was born. So here I had four children at home, and he was extremely supportive during that time. Helped me through, talked me into it, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> we had seven years after I graduated. My husband was a pilot when I met him. He was a fighter pilot in the Navy. Decided to leave the Navy. And then he, of course, eventually wanted his own airplane. That was always his, his dream, to have his own airplane. We had some very nice trips, uh, went to a lot of places as a family, took the kids skiing up in Arizona, too, and Utah and Colorado, and went to California up to Mammoth and went skiing and, and visited his family in Laguna Beach, flew into Newport Beach. and. Everything was well until one day it wasn't. Mm. Tell me about that day. Uh, my son was my son who was 15 at the time. He was going to go with uh, the young men and young women on a trip to Lake Powell. The, the ward had planned an outing for the young men and young women in our ward. And Ken could not join the group the same day as they were leaving. So his father offered to fly him up. Mm -hmm. And we were going to go as a family on this trip. And then because it was a Thursday that he was taking my son up, I would have to cancel my afternoon patients because that was the only day I worked. My two mm. youngest were four and six. My daughter was six. My son was four. In order to go up there as a family, I would have to cancel my patients for the afternoon. And I decided I didn't want to do that. And uh, so I decided I'm going to stay home. At that, my son, John, who was 12, said, well, mom, if you're not going, I'm not going. But the two little ones were so excited to go with their dad on this flight to take Ken up to Lake Powell. Mm -hmm. And my husband had made arrangements to meet with one of the leaders uh, to come and, you know, come to the dock and pick up Ken. And well, that morning I had not, my children were always awake to say goodbye to me when I went mm -hmm. for to work, my little ones. Mm -hmm. That morning, they slept in because it had gotten quite late the night before. Here I go to work anyway. I think about my family as I'm going. My husband's going to have a big day because he has to take kids to different places. The little ones had to go to a babysitter, and, and the other two had other places to go. So, <clears throat> And he still had to go to his office. I get to the office, the morning is going fine, and we come to the afternoon and my one o'clock patient has canceled. And the doctor says canceled too. And as we are waiting for the next patients to come in, the whole afternoon cast cancels. Oh, this wow. has never happened before that everybody's schedule cancels, that hasn't happened. So he decides we're just gonna close the office. And I get home, and because it was late the night before, I'm thinking all the way home, I'm thinking about this nap I'm going to take in a quiet house. <laughs> <laughs> I get home, the garage door opens, and there's my husband's car in the garage. So he hasn't left yet. He's still mm. there. And I'm surprised because I expected him to be gone. But he was running a little bit late, and he asked me to go get the kids, the little ones from the sitter. And I'm getting ready to say, that seems silly, because you're literally going five minutes out of your way to get to Scottsdale Airport. 
and it's going to be a halfway half hour round trip for me to get them mm -hmm. uh why don't you just go get them on your way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i can take a nap mm -hmm. that, <laughs> that's what i wanted to say but somehow those words were like taken out of my mouth literally and instead i agreeably went and got my little kids and we had such a wonderful time at home, sitting around the table, eating ice cream and chatting and just being silly. And then uh, eventually he came back with the other kids and uh, they took off. But they ran out the door without giving me a kiss and a hug. And that never happened. Mm. I was going to call them back. And then thinking, the thought came to me, they're going to be right back. Don't worry about it. Let them go. So I did. <laughs> And they didn't come back. Mm. They flew to uh, Page, where they dropped off my son at Walwick Marina. And then apparently came back to the airport, took off. Ken remembers them flying over the site of the camp where all the young men and young women were with their leaders. And my husband kind of tipped his wings like he always did coming home from wherever he'd gone. Mm -hmm. We would hear him flying over the house, and he would we'd run out and look, and he'd be tipping his wings before he would land at Scottsdale Airport. My son John and I went shopping that night. We went to dinner, and then we went shopping and uh, came home about 9 o'clock, and they weren't home yet, and I thought that was kind of strange. I was a little bit annoyed when I came in thinking, they should be home already. Why hasn't he called and let me know? Mm-hmm that they were gonna be late. Well, they never came. The, it, was a, it was a very difficult night because I kept thinking he's gonna call me. I knew somehow that he hasn't called. He was always good to call me and let me know when he was gonna be late. So I knew eventually that there's a reason why he hasn't called. He can't call me. He mm. must be down somewhere. And, um, I'm just hoping that uh, I'll hear from him. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to stay awake all night. I eventually went and vacuumed my whole house because I was so agitated. I didn't know what to do with myself. I felt like I was going to jump right out of my skin. Yeah. Because I was so worried. And uh, then finally, about two o'clock, I did lie down and woke up a couple of hours later. And I knew this is not good. And uh, eventually called uh, Scottsdale Airport, and they couldn't help me because apparently he hadn't filed a flight plan. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I eventually called somebody from our church that I knew was still home. He wasn't up at the, at the lake. He was one of the counselors to the bishop. And then pretty soon my house filled with people, friends and and friends from church and friends from the neighborhood, and uh, they sent out search parties trying to look for them because nobody knew where they were. Right. And uh, the last thing they had seen was flying over the camp. It was uh, late afternoon by the time they located the plane. They had several planes out looking, and somebody had found the plane. And, and then uh, four elders from our church walked into our house and I could see them come through the window, the windows. I was sitting in the living room by then and I could see them come through the windows and their heads were all bowed as they walked in and I knew what I was going to hear. I remember as we were standing there and I'm listening to them and I don't remember what they said. Mm. I just remember that I had this strange feeling like my knees were becoming jello like they were filling with jello and I was getting this strange sensation up and down my back and suddenly it occurred to me that I think I'm going to collapse mm. and the minute I knew that I realized I can't do that my 12 year old son had been picked up by friends and they had taken him to dinner and I didn't want him to come home and find his mother incapacitated when he was going to hear what he was going to hear Mm -hmm. So I stood there, and I'm sure that angels were supporting me because I didn't fall. I didn't fall apart. I just stood there and and realized what took in what had happened, and in a way, I already knew that that was happening. You know, I already wow. knew that 
that that was going to be what I was going to hear. Wow. So you were a widow at age 38. What? I 38. was 38. Yeah. Wow. My husband was 46. He was eight years older than I. And we had, uh, I had raised his two children who were in their mid and, uh, I think Stacy was almost 24 and Mark was 25. And then I was left with, and they were up at BYU. And I was mm -hmm. left with Ken at home who was 15 and John who was 12. And then your two little ones my died with you. My two little ones died with my husband, yeah. Oh my goodness. It was uh, unbelievable. It was excruciating. It was yeah. agonizing. It was, it was uh, beyond anything that I could really put into words. And yet, that whole day as we waited to find the plane, I remember people were, you know, literally wall-to-wall -wall people in my living room. And I remember feeling like I was enveloped in a cocoon of love that was coming from above, from heaven above. It was the most amazing experience. I was trying to take it in, the juxtaposition between that and knowing what I was going to have to face, possibly mm -hmm. face, uh, it was amazing to, uh, that feeling was absolutely amazing. It was literally like I was in a cocoon, softness all around me, love, warmth, and uh, a strengthening that was uh, amazing to me. Was the cocoon still there after you found out he had passed? It came and went. It was uh, it was still there the whole time. I had experiences of being strengthened in ways that uh, I can't really even put into words because it was so amazing that it was part of that cocoon of love. Mm -hmm. Like I was enveloped by something much stronger than I mm -hmm. and uh, that truly was there to support me and to sustain me through this and it has been there throughout. Uh, there has been many, many difficult moments. But there's always been that too, the bomb of Gilead. Mm. That was there for me throughout. And uh, in, even to the point where one time I remember we're sitting at the foot of my bed. My kids were not home. They were off somewhere. And uh, I was alone. And it was like, how... <laughs> How can I be all alone? It's like in the twinkling of an eye, everything has changed. And here mm -hmm. I am in my house on a Friday night alone. And I remember sitting at the foot of my bed, wondering how on earth I'm going to go on. And I feel as if I'm, my heart is being cupped between his hands. And I hear the words, I know how much this hurts. And I am so sorry. I'll never forget that because he was so strengthening and so sustaining. He truly did know because he's experienced everything that we've experienced. Mm -hmm. And it gave me the strength to go on. Wow. My goodness. So what are some of the lessons you learned while grieving? Well, one of the lessons I learned was, I remember one time, I, uh, grief comes in waves. It's not constant, but when those waves hit, it's literally uh, just taking you away. I mean, it's, it's almost, it's literally being pummeled in the surf. Mm, that's, <laughs> that's a good description. It really is. It, you're just being pummeled in ways that I, I can't really, I don't have any other words for it besides being pummeled in the surf. <laughs> I've, I've been there. I lost my, my top one time. <laughs> 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 and... Uh, but it comes and goes, and uh, when that comes, uh, you really have to hang on tight. And I prayed through it. I studied scriptures through it, and all those things were strengthening to me. That uh, one time I decided I'm just going to wallow in it this time. I'm mm. not going to get out of bed this morning. Yeah. I'm going to wallow in my misery. <laughs> And then I found out like about two o'clock in the afternoon, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. This is so much worse than trying to be strong and moving forward and thinking about all the things that I have that I can still be grateful for. Because when I counted my blessings, it made a difference in my life. Mm -hmm. Counting my blessings made me feel like I can do this. 
Oh yeah. Being thankful to the Lord. I, I felt like I can do this when I thought about the help that I was getting because I was always getting help, but letting it, uh, just letting it go and wallow in my misery. That, that was not working. Definitely not working. I tried it one more time just because <laughs> and, and As you felt like it. <laughs> I felt like it. That's right. And then I decided, no, that isn't going to work. That doesn't work for me because it only takes me to a place I don't want to be. You get to feeling so low and so vulnerable that, uh, you know, there were times where I thought, you know, I could always take my life. Mm. But I decided that wasn't going to work either because my kids are already suffering enough and I didn't need to put them through that too. Right. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. It was never really about suicide. It was more having that outlet. I, well, if I can't handle it, I can go there. But mm -hmm. I knew that wasn't going to help me. Yeah. So I, I had to find strength. And I found it in scriptures. I found it in wonderful friends uh, who were there to help me and, and sustain me and, and listen to me, you know, say anything I wanted to say, basically, yeah. without judging. And I will always love them for that. I had wonderful friends. I remember reading that if you're if you're not going to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist, then you need to have at least five good friends when you're grieving that will help you and listen to you. And I had that. And I feel very, very fortunate that they were there to help sustain me. And I believe that there were angels from above who helped me too. I felt the, the closeness to my Savior again and again. I know there were times where I felt like I'm like a four-year-old and he's dragging me along and I'm kicking and screaming. But I can't, I can't do this. I've had enough. And he keeps telling me, you can. I will lend you my strength and you can. And I could because, of he, because he did. Mm. He did lend me strength. And I'm so grateful for that. I don't know how people make it through tragedies if they don't have faith in a higher power in mm. our father in heaven and jesus christ i don't know how they how they make it through that i don't think i could have if i hadn't had that already in my life wow that that's beautiful i'm hearing prayer got you through scriptures connected you to god Absolutely. Uh, and then leaning on god for daily strength and also having an army of good friends to yeah. yes. help and listen while you process the grief and absolutely. and just supported you no matter with yes. with perfect love absolutely absolutely i remember thinking the one thing you can't do you cannot let go of your faith you have to hang on to your faith through this this is going to be a test beyond any test you've had and you've got to hang on to your faith I just remember that. I don't know if it was my own thoughts or somebody else's, but but it was definitely very clear. It's all I had left. Was mm. my faith, literally. Mm. Wow, I love that. You got to hang on to your faith, and and I've talked about that before on the show. That that often we hit rock bottom moments where it's almost like you're at a tipping point. Yeah. Almost like you're standing in the middle of a teeter-totter and you Absolutely. can either tip towards faith or you can tip away from God because you're angry because yeah. your husband and your kids died in a plane crash, you right. know? Right. Um, and so it is, it's a, it's a moment, a pivotal moment yes. of decision. Absolutely. Now you shared that there was a quote that you read recently that has come to be even more meaningful to you. It says, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. Right. That is the thing that when, I, when, I, when it happened, my sons were 12 and 15, and I thought, they haven't even lived yet. Mm -hmm. And neither had the older children. You know, they were still in their early, mid-20s. And, and uh, I thought, I don't want this to take away their chances to be happy. I don't want this to affect them in a negative way. We have to find happiness. Mm. And uh, we try to do those things that would help us be happy. And, uh, and I think it took a long time, but we have all, you know, worked at being happy. We've all had our experiences in life, and, but we made, we made the best of things. And uh, 
Life has been good in spite of that. That's the amazing part. There are times where I feel like I have to pinch myself. How can I be happy? Mm. But I am happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There. What were some of the things that you guys did to try to be happy after a devastating loss like that? Well, we, uh, my boys and I took the boat out. We had a boat. We used to go up to Lake Swirl or Lake Canyon and or Canyon Lake and go water skiing. And uh, I had never taken the boat out by myself before, but I learned to do that. And uh, we would take friends along and we would just try to live our lives and do the things that were fun and invite people over, even though we felt like a broken down family, because one day you were sitting at the dinner table with a lot of you and all of a sudden there's only three. Mm. And we would sit and eat our dinners with tears streaming down our faces. But we had to go on. We had to, we just had to push through. And uh, we would go to Laguna Beach where grandpa and grandma lived. And uh, my parents would come from Denmark and visit. And uh, we would just do things with friends. Mm. And does it get easier? Oh, definitely. I do believe it does. I know people say you never get over it. Mm-hmm. I don't think you get over it because it's always part of your history, but you get yes. through it. And uh, I remember there was a, there was a time for a long, long time where I felt I'm walking through a dark tunnel and all I see is a pinprick of light. And I'm going to walk towards that light and eventually it's going to open up for me. And I did. I just kept walking towards that light. And eventually it did open up. I came to the other end of the tunnel and it was a different life. It was a completely different life, but it was still a good life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, I always remembered gratitude. I, I remember to, to count my blessings because I had found out that that helps me. When I count my blessing, it helps me. Mm. I watched my thoughts. I had to watch how I thought about life if I thought about life in a negative way, I went down fast. Mm. And uh, I don't want to go down. I don't like it down there. Yeah, it's no fun. <laughs> no fun, you know. It is no fun. So I don't want to be there. It's, and I remember in my darkest moments, I always remembered, I have not yet suffered like Christ has. He has suffered for each and every one of us. He has it through everything we've been through because we are told that he doesn't just suffer for our sins. He suffers for all the things we experience, all the mm. difficult things, and he guides us through it. And I know there were times where he carried me. Mm-hmm. Just like it said in that footprint story that I loved, I heard about it after the accident happened. And I loved that story. Because that's how I felt. Like there were times where he carried me because I could only see his footprints. Mine mm-hmm. weren't there. Yeah. No, I, I completely, I completely and, agree. And those things buoyed me up. Those kept me going. Well, and I also love that you mentioned being grateful, um, especially with Thanksgiving being this month. I think it's, it's so pertinent that we remember that gratitude can help us look on even the hardest days with a ray of sunshine. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't take the sorrow away. No. But it helps um, change our thoughts yes. towards towards being positive. Yes. Um, I know that psychologists have proven that if, if you even write down three things you're thankful for every day in a journal, that you will be more happy. Absolutely. It makes a huge difference. I remember coming across this saying, uh, this was a couple of months after the accident. There were times where I felt like I'm hanging on a rope and I'm sliding down that rope Mm. and there's no bottom below me. Oh, wow. It was a quote by Franklin Roosevelt. When you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot in it and hang on. (laughs) Well, when I saw that, I remember thinking, I'm going to tie that knot right here so that I can stand on that because really my faith had brought me along as it was. Mm-hmm. But now that I had that knot on the rope, I knew that I'm not going to go down that precipice. 
it doesn't matter there's nothing below me because I can stand on that knot. Mm. And that meant so much to me as I read that. Oh, that's beautiful. But I also, I also remember that I read, some, well, I remember going to bookstores and finding things about books to read about grief. And yes. one of the things that I remember reading was uh, that if you watch your thoughts, it'll help because you can really only, your, your thought is like a, your thoughts are like a stage and you can really only think about one thing at a time. You can choose what thoughts you allow on that stage. Or if you have thoughts that take you down, dismiss them and mm -hmm. choose good thoughts. And that made a difference. I could wow. control what was on the stage of my mind because it's interesting how when you have a tragedy like that, it really, a loss consumes everything. It kind of has a life of its own. Mm -hmm. It's always there with you like a shadow for the longest time, not anymore, but for the longest time, it was there like a shadow right behind me all the time, right beside me, sometimes ahead of me. It was mm -hmm. all I could think about. Mm -hmm. And that makes things very difficult because you can't, hold those thoughts all the time. You can't stand them. It's too much. Mm -hmm. to it's burning. too heavy. It's too heavy to carry. And uh, as I learned to deal with that, and uh, I just know that, that Christ was there to, to carry my thoughts, to carry me many times when I needed it. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we'll have more lessons, tips, and things you can apply to your life. Stay tuned. Hey, my friends, are you looking for a meaningful Christmas gift this year? If so, you need look no further. I have a fantastic, sweet, short story. I am so excited to share with you my new booklet. It's called A Broken Down Holiday. This is the story of a widowed young mother trying to travel home for the holidays soon after her husband dies and being stranded in the middle of nowhere and some of the hard things that she experiences and some of the miracles that you wouldn't think were miracles that she had happen. But it is based on a true story that happened to my mother-in-law. It's great for those friends that you're just like, what do I get them? Something simple that's under five bucks. It's a great stocking stuffer. So if you want to share this message of hope with your friends or family members, check it out, A Broken Down Holiday on TamaraKAnderson.com. And I wish we could say that the rest of your life has been beautiful and without <laughs> sorrows and griefs. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> this was not your only airplane tragedy. It was not, no. Why don't you tell us about this second story that uh, impacted you so dramatically? Well, five years ago, my son, John, who was now 46, like his father, he had an airplane and he had been flying for a while. And uh, on July 4th in uh, 2016, he crashed. And with him was our 17-year-old grandson, his oldest son, and one of uh, Max's friends. Oh, wow. So again, we lost three. and. Uh, we started the journey again. This time it was a different journey for me because John and Max were not living with me. We saw mm -hmm. them, you know, several times a year. But he was watching my daughter-in-law go through the same thing. Yeah, I bet it was. But from the time John told me he was flying, I knew it was going to happen again. I knew it. Did you? I did. I honestly knew it. It was a matter of time. When John told me that he was going to fly, I decided I'm just going to pray and have faith. And my faith is going to keep him alive. Mm -hmm. But that was not going to be. It was a tough journey. And it was, it was what got me to write my book. I knew I had to write the first time I, when it happened. But I, I just never wrote anything that I was satisfied with. Mm -hmm. I had an interesting experience just days uh, before John and Max were also gone. I had what seemed like a chastisement come through my head. It was 
what admonishment um, you never did right. That literally happened like two days before they were gone. Mm. And I remember thinking, no, I didn't write. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I guess I need to do that. And then a couple of days later, I get the phone call from my son that John didn't make it home last night. There it was. So you said it was different the second time around. You still grieve them, but I grieved. I grieved for, for him. I grieved for my grandson. And I grieved so very much for my daughter-in-law and for my grandchildren who were left because I knew the journey they were going on and yes. how harsh that journey was and how difficult that it would be for many years. And uh, that, was, that was the part that was so hard. So the hardest thing was the empathetic grief. Almost. Yes, right, right. It really was. Wow. Um, it was and and the, just the, the, the tragedy of it all happening again. You know, the loss that we also felt not having them come to our house and not be, them being there when we came to went to their house. It was a, you know, those were very heavy moments. Yes. Were you angry the second time around? No. Oh my word. <laughs> I know, and I read. I read about that. I read about that. That that is one. I remember reading that in the Five Stages of Grief by uh, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, and. Uh, I remember thinking how strange that uh, that I'm not feeling that. What I did feel was anger at my husband. At oh, one time. really? Yes. I remember having to go talk to the principal about one of my kids. Well, it happened a couple of times, actually. <laughs> and, and I thought, I am going to kill you for not being here because you should be taking care of this, not me. Mm. This is your job not my job. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, I was, I was actually, yeah, I guess I did have anger. I was angry at him, but not from the start. That happened much later. And, and uh, so I guess it's not fair to say I didn't have anger, but I never had anger at God. Mm-hmm. This was in the stars. Mm-hmm. And I accepted that. I think I accepted it through the atonement of Jesus Christ. I think he helped me accept it. Mm-hmm. Because there really isn't any way to get over something like this besides accepting it. I think uh, I did not want to be angry. I don't like that feeling. It's not a a pleasant feeling when you're angry. I just wanted to be happy. I've always wanted to be happy. That's been my my goal in life, to have happiness in my life. And and then to have this happen, I thought, well, we're going to have to find it anyway. There's got to be a way. Find happiness anyway. <laughs> yeah, find it anyway. So the carrot you can dangle the people who are grieving at this point is happiness can and will come again eventually. If you want it. If you ah, it. if you want it. If you let it. I think if you if you don't accept what has happened, because you really do have to accept it. You have to accept it on all levels. And if you don't do that, I I read a lot of people, because I still love to read things about people who have had losses in their lives. Yes. And when I hear people say that uh, you never get over it and they've suffered for years, I'm just not somebody who likes suffering. (laughs) Uh, and, And that, I think, it continues if you don't handle it the right way. Yeah. If you... If you stay in that suffering mode, which basically is what I really truly learned when I stayed in bed on those two occasions, it's like, Mm -hmm. man, if I just want to be miserable, this is how you do it. Mm. I don't want to be miserable. So giving yourself limits to grief, saying, okay, I will feel miserable. Maybe I'm going to grieve this morning in my bed. But this afternoon, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to move forward. Setting limits to the amount of time you allow yourself to grieve so that you can begin slowly moving forward with life and choosing happiness. Choosing happiness and choosing to go on and doing things that you've always done or learning new things, you know, just move forward. Don't stay in that loss because when you do, it's just going to be misery. Mm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember after John and Max were gone, I remember we didn't find them for the longest time. They crashed in the ocean off the Oregon coast. And uh, they were lost in the ocean. And they had uh, divers out looking for them. My son happened to be one of those rescue divers. Oh, wow. Uh, it was his, his team and other teams who were out looking for them. I remember thinking about them lying on the ocean floor was not a very pleasant thought. And I would change my thoughts to thinking about where they were now. Mm. Because I knew that they were in heaven, whatever right. that means. And I don't know what that means. I don't know that any of us truly do. Right. But, but we knew that we know that that there's another life there. Life doesn't end when we die. There's life beyond life. Mm-hmm. And I thought about them getting involved in all this new stuff they had to learn in this new place that they were in and thinking about them that way as opposed to having them lying on somewhere that we didn't know on the ocean floor was helpful for me because I remember thinking when I think about them that way I can always be happy for them yes we're the ones who are bad off we're the ones who have to be without them and my grandson even said that he said they're really the lucky ones, aren't they, Grandma? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's those of us who are left behind exactly. that struggle. Exactly, right? right, yeah. So we have to kind of bring this all around to your happy ending. Tell us about the wonderful man you finally found and, and, re- and married. You're married again, right? I am. I have been married. It'll be 35 years this December. It was four years after I was widowed that I met my husband. And we were married four and a half years to the date of the accident. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, at the time, we thought, well, we can probably certainly have, you think you're old when you're 40, and you're not. (laughs) 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 And, uh, And we were thinking we could certainly have 25 years, maybe 30 years. My husband is a type 1 diabetic. so we had that going against us and Mm -hmm. we thought 30 years for sure after that we're not sure and here we are almost 35 years later and that's pretty amazing and life has not been without its ups and downs but it has been a good life Uh, we have uh, blended our families and uh, it has been truly wonderful and I'm so deeply grateful for that second chance of happiness, because I think when he came into my life, that's really when things started to change, really change, Mm. Uh, a new focus, a new opportunity, and uh, a new time to build a different life. Oh, it's so encouraging to see that love is possible after loss that love is possible after loss that life is possible after loss. life is possible but <laughs> I think you really do have to want to have that mm-hmm. you have to want to let go of the other in a way for the longest time i hung on and you know the memories and and uh, the, the feelings of uh, wanting them back was there for a mm-hmm. long time but i knew that it was that wasn't going to happen <laughs> yeah no, 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 you're right. Well, how it works. Yeah. I knew I had to look forward. I had to, to move forward. I had to go on. And, uh, and we all did. So it's almost a matter of, of which way you face. You either face back and continue yeah. grieving yes. the loss, or you look forward to the future with hope and with faith. But you have to process the past in order to move forward, right? I think that is very true. Absolutely. My goodness. Well, you have just been such a wealth of information. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your book that you just released that Mm -hmm. talks about this experience and your journey through the grief and onto the other side when I had that episode where just days before John also left, you know, when I had the impression that I should write my book, mm-hmm. um, I knew after, after I heard that, you know, when we knew that John and Max were gone, that I had no choice. I had to write the book. 
And I also knew that perhaps this was another way that the Lord gave me to overcome the grief that I was now having to go through again mm-hmm. by this additional loss. And uh, that's for, for two years, I basically sat in my chair and, and wrote. <laughs> it helped so much to write my book. I truly am grateful. Even now, as I look back, I'm, I'm old <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's all good. The older I get, the, the, the closer I come to seeing them all again. And, <laughs> and, and what, a, you know, what an amazing experience that will be. Life has been good. I'm grateful for the adversity because of the lessons I've learned, particularly my lesson of the love of our Father in heaven and Jesus Christ. They have been with me in most amazing ways, and uh, I know they love us beyond measure, beyond anything we can even comprehend. Mm -hmm. And that is the experience that I've had, and I'm grateful for that experience. So tell us the title of your book and how it ties into your favorite verse of scripture. (laughs) Well, the title is uh, Be Still, and it comes from Be Still and Know That I Am God, Mm -hmm. because that was part of my experience uh, many times. It would, I guess, pass through my soul, my heart, be still and know that I'm God. Mm -hmm. And there was another scripture that... uh, yeah, I guess it's Proverbs, what is it, 3, 5, 6, where it says, uh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own, thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. That was a verse that went through my, my soul that first day as we sat and waited for my husband and my children to be found. It was going through again and again. I felt that impression of that scripture. And I clung to those words and I knew that whatever you do, do not let go of your faith. Mm -hmm. It'll take you through this. And it has indeed done that very thing. Oh, well, you're such a great example of sticking to your faith, even through extreme moments of grief and sorrow and sadness. Another thing I noticed as you were talking about writing the book is that writing is a good way to help process grief. We talked earlier about how after your husband died, that you ended up processing a lot of the grief by talking to your earthly angels. And interesting how God gave you a different avenue to process the second set of grief when your son died through writing. And it, it seems like we have to process it either verbally or written, um, but somehow we have to process it. <laughs> Absolutely. I think if you don't process it, you probably go crazy. You yeah, probably. <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, a couple of resources, and then we'll get your contact information before we close. But You mentioned the book about by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on the five stages of grief being Mm -hmm. a good resource for you. Were there any other resources that you found particularly helpful as you processed grief? I remember coming across the book by uh, C.S. Lewis. You know, he lost his wife. Mm -hmm. I guess he was married late in life. And and, uh, then they weren't married very long. And she passed away from cancer. And he wrote the book, at, uh, A Grief Observed. I remember a, uh, a friend came to my home uh, a week after the accident the first time. She had had an accident and lost two children. And she brought me a booklet by a president, a former president of the church, Spencer W. Kimball. Mm-hmm. And that booklet is... Um, entitled Tragedy or Destiny. Mm. Now that book, that little booklet, it's only 11 pages long, was an amazing help to me right from the start because of the things I know. This is a book, of course, that uh, talks about from a standpoint of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But it resonated with me. It helped me tremendously. 
I think that's the book that probably helped me not to feel anger at God, along with some of the other things that I experienced. To me, it explained, you know, tragedy, is it a tragedy or was it their destiny? It was just an amazing little booklet. Oh, well, those are wonderful resources. And we will put those up on the, in the show notes so that people can find copies of those as well. Now, before we close, there will be people out there who will resonate with you and your story will want to buy your new book. Will you please tell us where we can buy your book, Be Still, and how we can connect with you on social media? Okay. Uh, the book is available on Amazon and also on Bar- at Barnes & Noble. Wonderful. Now, that's great. And we can find you on Facebook, right? On Facebook, yes. I'm on Facebook. So on Facebook as Karen L. Ford. Right. Wonderful. Well, this has been so amazing, Karen. Thank you so much for sharing your beautifully worded story of passing through the refiner's fire and coming out with peace and being able to be still through some of the most difficult things that I can even imagine. Thank you for your great example and for, for sharing how you, how you made it through with God's help. Well, thank you so much, Tamara. I appreciate it so much having you, having me on here. Thank you for that. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, subscribe so you can get your weekly dose of powerful stories of hope. I know there are many of you out there who are going through a hard time, and I hope you found useful things that you can apply to your own life in today's podcast. If you would like to access the show notes of today's show, please visit my website, storiesofhopepodcast.com. There you will find a summary of today's show, the transcript, and one of my favorite takeaways. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this episode with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a quote or a scripture verse that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this podcast. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help you bear the burden. And above all else, remember God loves you.